Hello and welcome to The Construction Revolution, the podcast that's leading the charge for change in the construction industry. I'm Maria Coulter, the construction coach, and I'm on a mission to bring positive lasting change. As an industry, we're crying out for greater profit margins, cash that actually flows, a more diverse and inclusive culture. We need companies to value themselves and their people. We need greater leadership. We need teams that trust each other and less stress. Oh, and we also have the small matter of the skills gap to solve as well. During this podcast series, I'm going to be talking to pioneers from within our industry who are doing things differently to solve these issues. I'm also going to be bringing you fresh ideas and perspectives from outside of the industry to inspire and guide you in bringing about some much needed change. As Henry Ford said, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. It's time for a revolution. Are you ready to join me? Welcome to episode five of the Construction Revolution. How many times have you been to conferences or seen posts on LinkedIn talking about how we need to attract the next generation? We put messages out there about how great our industry is, the amazing opportunities there are. So the communications work, you attract someone in who on paper is the ideal candidate. Then they work in the industry and leave because of the culture. This week, I'm talking to Matthew Barnes-Smith, a construction leaver. He was attracted by the problem-solving, challenges, creativity, innovation, working in teams, amazing travel opportunities that come with the industry. But what he didn't sign up for, in his words, was the macho and oppressive environment he found himself in. Today, we will hear his story and how he's now working with young men, tackling issues such as gender stereotyping, and the masks of masculinity. Welcome Matthew Bond-Smith to the Construction Revolution. Tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background. So I graduated university in 2009 in Sheffield um, with a construction project management degree. That was just after the sort of recession. So getting into the industry was a little bit tougher to start off with um so i was in the food industry for a little bit doing health and safety so it was a great baptism of fire i think i then joined an established global company um as a graduate construction manager and i worked my way across the country different roles predominantly on site as a as an assistant construction manager construction manager site manager and uh i a few years ago, I found myself in Hertfordshire. For that, at that time, I was working as a for the, um, the main contractor on site, and that was pr- um, predominantly the main uh, company that I'd worked for for the majority of um, my twenties. And then setting foot into the subcontractor world, and I can remember just before I said yes to working with this company, I had had thoughts about leaving the industry completely. It might be worth actually saying now that, yeah, I am a construction lever, <laughs> so I don't yes. work within the industry anymore. Yeah, so that was that was about three years ago. And then I spent a year in the world of subcontract, subcontracting as a site manager, again, for a well-established subcontracting company. Most of the projects I was working on was on the sort of process side of the industry. So I was working on lots of, uh, I worked on nuclear projects, oil and gas, pharmaceutical, clean rooms, environment. Why did I get into the industry? I can remember giving the, um, this, this speech to you at the at the construction industry council, and and uh, I got into the industry for 
for problem solving, for challenges, for creativity, for innovation, for working as a team, uh, working within teams and all the amazing travel and opportunities and that, that come um, within the industry. But what I didn't sign up for was the, the extremely sort of macho and oppressive environment that took me to step away from the industry to realise that I was very much involved in and just completely within um, the middle of that. And yeah, so I, I, about two and a half years ago, I just found myself completely worn out. I just didn't recognise the, 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 the man that I was within the industry, you know, leading site teams, leading projects. Um, and all I knew at that point is that I just needed some time away. I was doing my construction, uh, I was doing my um, coaching diplomas at the time, which was when I, I can remember picking up the phone to, to yourself. Um, I typed in construction coach. Um, and, uh, yeah. and there I was. And there you were, you popped up because I was thinking, has anyone had this, you know, this discovery that you can, I think what that, those diplomas did for me, well, it was actually, I suppose, the, um, the uh, ignition for me to, to start to confront some of the feelings that I'd been, that I'd had um, that, okay, there's a different way of being able to have conversations on site, different way of being able to manage people and to, and to also understand yourself a bit more. So I think that was the ignition, uh, the, the sort of spark there that started me to sort of um, lead me to understand some of the feelings that I, I'd been feeling. But all I knew at that point was that I just needed to get out. <laughs> I was burnt out physically and mentally. So I spent about sort of six months or so popping in back in and out of the of the industry but really just a bit of a rest and deciding what my next and finishing off my diplomas and and, fin and deciding what my next sort of chapter would be um and it was kind of in this period that i i i kind of um thought that i would really really like to go and start working with young people whether it be on schools or on um on a coaching basis just working with young people who maybe had experienced um, what, I'd, what I'd experienced uh, being young in just not really knowing, not really having much guidance, just finding yourself into um, a working environment. It was, you know, straight out of university into job. And, and that was kind of the vision that I, I kind of, I had at the time. Um, and when I thought back, I realized that I'd never really had any spaces to just go in speak openly about how I might have felt so I wanted to go and work with young people in some capacity and um, uh, I can remember saying the same sentence to myself over and over again that I'm going to work in the construction industry to get some money to then fund working with young people um, and I just I kept saying that same sentence so one day I just like why am I saying this sentence and just started looking for how I could actually start working with young people instead of just talking about it so that led me into applying for youth work I took the the coaching diplomas and set up working privately with with young people on a coaching mentoring basis. So that was so I was youth work for two years, and I have been coaching mentoring privately as well for two years, uh, and delivering training on coaching young people as well um, for the the company that I did my coaching qualifications with. That then also led me along that route to a organisation um, called the Good Lad Initiative. They're also known as Great Men. And initially, I started to volunteer with with them, um, and they go into schools and to tackle uh, masculinity, gender stereotyping, and I suppose the term that people might recognise now, especially because it's a it's a it's a sort of hot topic, um, 
outside the construction industry as well as inside um the, like toxic masculinity is probably the phrase that people might have might have heard so they would like you know they want to go and challenge that or just generally challenge what uh the script that um that young men uh young boys and men um are being told by society of what it means to be a man so we go into schools um and do workshops um and in universities and also in in working and corporate environments as well. And I have just also started a new role delivering equality, diversity and inclusion training as well. And that's going to be in schools. So I suppose I'd like to sort of say that it's proactive sort of conversations that I'm now having, especially around um, sort of yeah, challenging masculinity and, 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 um, and mental, emotional health, I think. So there's a go. There's a whistle-stop tour of what <laughs> led me into the in- industry, what led me out, and kind of what I'm doing now. But what was it that really kind of pushed you out of the door? Because, like, you know, on paper, you were, like, an ideal ca- candidate for the construction industry, and you obviously had yeah. perception of, you know, why you got into it in the first place. You talked about the problem-solving and the travel opportunities and, you know, all sorts of working as a team. Like, what was yeah. it that really... Because I know that you know you you'd started to study coaching and I think you you thought about the potential of perhaps trying to change the culture yeah um through coaching but what was it that really kind of pushed you out of the door I mean it at the, like I say I go back at the time I just knew that I needed to get out I was completely flat and burnt and it took me a little bit of time to then really realize and reflect on why it was that I'd stepped away and um I can remember coming to give that 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 talk um at the construction industry council and saying exactly the same thing that it did take a little bit of time i've just been able to breathe a little bit and look back and go oh that's what that was and for all the amazing opportunities that i did have like i you know my first job i was in the northwest of england and i traveled all around the country on some um, you know some really amazing projects but i just kept finding the same same frustration same like just restrictive and oppressive atmospheres on the sites that I was working on and it was almost the question that was in my head was is this is this normal is this what it's always like you know it was just it was just people if I'm just completely honest just moaning about how things are being done but still acting exactly the same way and I found myself very much in in that culture as well but at the same time I have to take responsibility that I was very I, you know I was I was modeling that behavior as well so I can remember being very frustrated well in the the year that I went and spent in subcontracting because I wanted to see what life was like on the, the the other side of the table from sort of main contractor and feeling very uh, again restricted and and um, when I felt that the the project leads were unfairly treating the site and not really taking into consideration the people on the site. Just from my perspective, they were just purely thinking about themselves, their company, not the project as a whole. And most of the time, not even the client. My way <laughs> was to almost sort of fight back against that, but still showing the same. I was just using the same, the, the same behavior patterns. So it did take me to sort of like step away from the industry to realize why I'd burnt myself out with these behavior traits, I guess, that, um, that I suppose the construction industry stereotypically, again, use that word, because we'll probably come on to that a bit, has, has, been, has been known for, that sort of it's, it's macho, manly behaviors. So um, 
yeah i mean does does that answer it's it took um it it did take like i say i was i was i was just burnt out um at the time also just doing long 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 hours sometimes 6 to 12 uh, uh, 6 7 12 hour days a week um but i think the main thing was like this can't be what it's like all the time and i didn't i'd had to t- take step away to realize that it's not that's not the case again that was my experience of particular construction projects um and that is not what again like the entire industry is or that all people within the industry are I just knew at that time that I needed to take a step back and take a step away from it. You know, you said about, well, you were just saying about it, it's not what the whole of the industry's like. Yeah. But, um, I mean, obviously, with contracting and subcontracting, it is very much like money-driven, cost-driven, yeah. profit-driven. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there is a fear culture. There's a lack mentality, and it's like it's the whole kind of – um you know, if you've ever, well, yeah, I know you will have as a coach, but, you know, if anybody's ever heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yeah, like yeah. if if your needs, if your baseline needs aren't being met, like if you don't feel secure um, and, you know, you, you, you've got sort of a feeling of fear, being threatened, um, do you think that sort of impacts on that specific culture from a site perspective? Because I know it is, you know, I think different parts of the industry have got their own sort of variations of, of the culture, but I think site is a particular tough environment, isn't it? Yeah. I think you, you, you're spot on there with, with the word fear and that re- if there is a, an, a, a sense of fear within site, it becomes so restrictive to the individuals and they do just re revert to their sort of, the only thing is sort of like primal survival mode. Um, and if if that is is in some way like an unconscious part of the culture on site then everyone in some way shape or form is going to whether they say it out loud but generally in their behaviors will revert to that individual protection or their their small team protection but generally they're out for themselves right and i definitely saw that in some of the contracting culture where a lot of people were just there simply to sort of, they were just accepting of the environment, the the oppressive environment, the lack of care for the individuals, the lack of vision for the bigger picture of what like the project was actually there to achieve. And were just there because they were like, no, you know, I'm going to accept this. I don't want to challenge it. It's easier to not challenge it. It's easier to live with this little bit of fear and just pick up the paycheck. And again, I never heard anyone sort of speak like 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 that. I guess in in those moments, it was just that was then found in the behaviour of the way the cult of the, the site sort of interacted with each other and the management and and then you know within meetings and so uh, yeah, fear is, is is a big one and how and it's strange, isn't it? Like, is that could that be down to the way that projects are sort of set up because they're so financially driven? Is it a mixture of then then I guess this sort of again, the macho culture that is in there and both of them sort of collide in creating that atmosphere as well. It's probably a bit of both, I think. Yeah. Um, I think we've so focused on, the industry has focused massively on the sort of contractual issues of, okay, and almost trying to force collaboration and force people to work together. And, and I, was, I think there are you know amazing examples out there of when projects have gone well, when there has been like bigger visions in place and people have bought in together and 
finances like you know win and lose and we're all in part of this together and I, I can remember a great phrase that someone sort of I'm sure it's in one of co- coaching sessions anyway but it was like and I, I tried at the time to then go back onto site and implement it but it was like I used to cover up my hard hat and my logo on my site uh, on my on my high viz and be like like let's talk without the logos you know and now when I work in the world of like a challenging masculinity it's like let's talk without the masks so without our sort of macho mask on and then we can speak you know as human to human so yeah i think if there is that that drip feed of fear and stress then it is going to really impact the culture on site and it's very hard to then pinpoint like what exactly where who if it's just a a big (laughs) collective of again the phrase the way things are done around here without it being challenged yeah, it's really interesting because I think it is like a, mel- a melting pot for all sorts of things, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you you left, you know, like yeah. on paper, you were someone who was ideal for the industry, but you left. And and I think we need to sort of learn those lessons. And I think it is great, you know, the work that you're doing now with young people. And I think as an industry, we really need to understand what young people want and how do we create a positive environment to actually draw young people in but also to to nurture them I guess and make them want to stay and and build a career I mean there's so many facets to that as well isn't there I suppose if I try and focus on the two um aspects of that when um sort of the work that I'm doing at the moment where I work with young guys again allowing them to sort of have that space to articulate how they they actually feel um mentally physically emotionally uh so you know if that if that would be called sort of mental health and well-being um and then challenging um again that, that sort of phrase of toxic masculinity or maybe try and focus on that because I think that if the industry, if the construction industry is going to become the industry of choice for young people, something that it is doing and is looking externally as to what conversations are going on outside of the industry, what society, what we're tackling as a society, as communities, and how that is impacting the the industry. So, yeah, if I start maybe with just like mental health is young people just that is such an important conversation that young people are having now that it's not like that almost a lot of work has been initially done to address the stigma and that it's something that people would like to talk about to embrace to have those spaces if they feel that they need to go in to speak openly but also like what is the company doing proactively to support them as well and looking them as the full spectrum and and holistically as as an individual so it's not just i'm going to walk through that door and I'm going. You're going to get as many hours as you can out of me, and I'm going to walk off and burn out. You like, actually, that the company, that whoever they're working for, they feel like they're looking at addressing. Yeah, um, they're seeing the full the, the full human. So it's not they're taking care of them as maybe when they're not actually you know uh, physically there, um, but that they are understanding that they are more than just the hours that they may spend in that office or if we're speaking at the industry on site, a lot of young people are now talking about burnout, I think, and just the long, 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 long hours that are spent, just simply just thinking that long hours and work or working hard and productively means just sticking in the hours. And I think that is something that the industry definitely needs to challenge a little bit more, or not a little bit, a, a lot more. And 
you know, you've seen that maybe in for the, the companies buying into things like flexi time and stuff like that. But when I was in the industry, construct that was only on that was office based. And and then, you know, when you go onto site, there's no such thing as flexi time on site. <laughs> it was uh, most of the managers that when I step foot, they're like, oh, yeah, well, that happens in the office, but just just not the way things are done here. So, I mean, what are the benefits of flexi time? It's, a, it's seeing that people, you know, are not there to just plow on and work consistently and that they might need they might need to sort of incorporate other things into their working day. How that would work onto site? Not 100% sure, but I think just an understanding that, you know, humans are not just there to just continue to plow on and plow on and plow on. I'll use this as an example because I think it relates. Yesterday, so I do mentoring, like I say, with with young guys, and uh, he started to bring up into conversation about the um, the way that he was interacting with his friends and that there was just this front that was on them, uh, in front of them all the time, this, like, barrier. So I was just letting him speak and, and listening to him. And he was saying, and this is just, for me, it's not a, fr- a sign of friendship. It's not a sign that a sign that they respect me, I respect them. It's just this, like, behavior that the guys adopt when we're sort of, they're, they're together and my friends. And so that expanded into doing a little example of a little exercise that we, that I do with with guys in school with the with the good lad initiative where we introduce stereotyping and the stereotypes are associated with what it means to be a man and and then that conversation goes on to things like peer pressure and and really breaking down maybe terms like banter as well and that is a in itself because you hear those words so often on on construction sites as well that it's you know oh, that's just banter and blah 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 and i can remember at the the construction industry council talk where we came to speak so someone else um um, apologize but i do forget her name um one of your colleagues who gave an amazing example of um uh, i think she was a, a is she a, a, a plumber and she was oh, yeah. um yeah and um and talking about her experience in the industry and the work that she was doing with um, young women in schools and colleges and their access and their route into the industry as well i can remember her saying sentence along the lines of um i think someone had asked like how she felt did she feel sort of accepted and respected by some of her male colleagues and said a sentence something that stuck with me that but when you get past the banter and eventually spend a bit of time going through that then it's okay you know I can I the guys will see that I can do my job as well if not better than them and it's that phrase that once I got through the banter that stuck with me that it's it's challenging that that is a norm and not just for women to experience as well, predominantly um, women will absolutely experience that and as well as guys, but like tackling that as a, as a culture, as a thing that it's just expected that, you know, piss taking is a thing and belittling people as a thing and not understanding individuals and tolerances um, is just like an acceptive way of doing things as well. Like, so being able to pinpoint them and having those conversations and tackling that I think is going to open up again that sort of access for people to feel like they are safe um, when we talked about fear before secure again within the industry and heard um, that their voice matters and I think that's a big thing for young people today and I know that a lot of the guys that I work with uh, on a mentoring basis is generally because they don't feel like they've got a space to be heard. I mean do you think that because it sounds like 
you know, young people, and I know you work specifically with young men, feel like they can't be themselves. Yeah. And that, you know, he talks about toxic masculinity and about um, wearing masks. I mean, do you think, um, is it about when it's the toxic masculinity, when it's such a male orientated profession is when, mm. you know, you, you get sort of more of the challenges. And I know that, you know, um, the opposite can work as well. Like I know that a lot of men don't feel very comfortable, like say if they're working in the the fashion industry or something like that, where it's predominantly women, that's probably a completely different vibe as well. But I mean, do you think construction is particularly bad compared to other sort of industries? Or do you think it is it is the fact that it's all mostly men that sort of is the challenge? So I, I, go, I go just because, you know, young people, when they because when I speak to them and they're speaking openly and they do have that space, they come up with the best sentences. And the guy that I was working with just yesterday talked about this being like a virus that is everywhere. He was saying this is something that is on the school playgrounds. It's it affects boys and girls. And, and then it's just infiltrated into different parts of life. And it just becomes, again, like a bit of a it's just a it's um, a complete sort of constructs that people live and they're either aware of it challenging it aware of it accept it or unaware of it and um but what you just maybe if we just focus like you say focus on the construction industry i suppose it's the statistics don't lie right male suicide is the biggest killer of men under the age of 45 and i am pretty sure that the construction industry has the highest rates of male suicide with all within all industries i think so yeah there's got to be parallels there, right? There's got to be links. If generally men, and, and when you break that down, um, we have those talks again, it's there's actually more women that will go to seek help and more women that have been diagnosed, say, with mental health problems by their doctors, but less women are taking their lives through suicide. So the... But so, so why is that the case? And that's generally the, the sort of consensus is that, that guys don't, will not intervene when they'll intervene and they, they, because there's a sort of the pressure that if they, if they say, oh, I don't feel, you know, I don't feel great today, that that's a sign of weakness. And that, you know, in a, in the, I suppose in the construction industry, in the macho world, like, and especially maybe in, in trades as well, you know, like, well, that's probably not a great thing to be seen to be weak, you know? And in, I suppose in that sort of like, when we think, uh, you think about the politics and the business sense that is within politics uh, is within the the, um, the projects and construction industry as well like i suppose that's just something that again is seen as weakness to say how you truly feel about something and people might sort of would, would, would prey on that and again if you look at that as a playground aspect of, with young boys on playgrounds if they're the one to sort of stand out generally you're sort of they will be the ones to stand out and the group will will react and you know point and jeer and they will get the sort of the verbal and the physical abuse if they if they're not behaving in the 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 norm or the 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 pack so or or yeah or the, or the group so so yeah there's got to be there's got to be a link right if that is if it, if outside of the industry there's a culture that men feel hard to speak and speak about how they truly feel and within the and the construction industry has the highest rate of 
of suicide, there's got to be that link. Um, yeah. I work, you know, now I, I know from going from the construction industry. So, for instance, in a, a very male um, dominant area, I'm now working with in, in a, with a team of, uh, we're a small team of 12 going and delivering equality workshops and I'm the only male. So, and I, I have, so I, and especially in the world of things like coaching as well. And I suppose outside of work, you know, I've re- over the past few years as well, I've looked at the proactive aspects of what I can do to, 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 to help my mental, emotional health. So, you know, I'll go to like yoga studios and the vast majority of, of, of humans in these areas are, are female, you know, when I'd go to my coaching diplomas and weekends it was, uh, and in the t- and in schools as well, in teaching environments, it's vast majority of, of females. So there's got to be parallels that you, we can pull from from all of that. The type of work that you're doing with the young people to to start to sort of you know get them to be able to like be open and honest about how they're feeling, you know, because it's all well and good doing that work, right? And, yeah. You know, and then saying, oh, and then go and join the construction industry. Yeah. And then they're like. Oh yeah, yeah. shit! I hang about, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. how do we then kind of potentially replicate some of the work that you're doing with young people? How do we then to start to bring those yeah. principles into the construction industry? And I know there uh, are movements. Yeah. I mean, you've got like Mates in Mind. Yeah. You know, there's some great. You know, Construction News have done some great things. They've had yeah. um, surveys sort of every year for the past two or three years. Um, there's definitely big changes happening in mental health in construction but I don't know if it's going deep enough yeah and and it's like why is it not going deep enough and I suppose you go back and this sentence has probably been said so many times but it's got to come from the top as well right like we hear whenever there's any change that needs to be happening on construction we hear okay we've got to collaborate more and we've got to this needs to happen or this change needs to happen it's got to come from buying from the top as well and it does you know if for instance young people are going into going into the industry pardon me um and sort of wanting to wanting to be able to express themselves and to to um to get creative to be innovative um and to really benefit and thrive within the industry but then they're bang they're hit with this wall of oppression then yeah they will it will almost like they'll they'll revert to that type of behavior so it's got to come from the top as well so um and honestly for me to be able to be sitting here now and to be able to talk to you about this and for me to go and maybe do the work, I had to seriously look hard in the mirror about uh, the way that I was holding myself. And um, so, yeah, I had to, I had to, like, I might go into some workshop, uh, into schools now and, and challenge and, and, and have these conversations. And, but you've got to challenge how that is how, for me. I had, I have, and still do challenge where that comes up in my life and where it has been. So yeah, so point being is that a lot of the time when we hear change, we kind of point around and go, you hear that phrase like, oh, we need to do this, we need to do that, but nothing actually happens. Like, well, why is that the case as well? And why is it not going deep enough? And for me personally, I just think that because when it gets to the point of real change, it's the individuals there that are just too restricted because they, they don't want, they, they don't believe that it's actually them that is still propping up some of these behaviors. They just don't want to believe that because from a, 
are just going to be straight now, like from a male pride point of view. It's almost like, well, you're telling me that I've done stuff wrong and they'll just put barriers up. It's like they've been personally attacked. And I think that's a big thing, especially when um, we, you, you know, <laughs> we will go and, um, uh, and yeah, ha- have these conversations about sort of how male stereotypes will lead to male mental health, to uh, sexual violence against women um sexism um and 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 some of the other behaviors bullying cultures within again like on construction sites or just in any workplace like guys don't want to believe that they're still in whatever way shape or form whether it be a little or a lot part of that and the more guys will that can stop and and say okay actually this is my behavior as well this is the way that i'm propping up this and this is what i'm going to do personally about that for me then that i think might then create the catalyst for some of the deep-rooted change and the conversations to continue they are developing like you say there are some great initiatives out there there's some great work being done and i think that is being driven again from people at the top that are going okay i know that i need to get some maybe some outside outside help to come in and work but that's only if they're prepared for that outside help to prepare for that outside help to give them to, to be open and honest about what it is that they see and that they be receptive to to the change that might be required by them and within their teams. One of the biggest mental health challenges is around sort of lack of cash flow. And I totally get this because I think construction news a couple of weeks ago published their latest mind matter survey and I'm pretty sure that late payment was one of the biggest like causes of um of mental health issues so saying that you know it's, it's all well and good we can prepare young people and and about coach them around mental health sorry yeah about mental health and things like that but we can't prepare them for not being paid when you're going out and you're working and you're you're You've spent so much time crafting your trade and you've been brought in for your for your services and your value. And then the end result is that you don't get paid for that time. It's just like you just feel devalued, right? You don't feel respected in any way. And and then to then walk away and then whatever that, that that financial impact would have on, again, that person's mental health. It can, it can, that can be a really horrible place to be. I think maybe there's also a different conversation there, maybe not one for us to go into here about like payment in the industry yeah. as well, just generally sort of like the logistics of payment and things like this and when payments are hold and contractual and da-da-da-da. If I, the point that I would bring that back to keep in line with R is that it's another form of another big stressor within the industry isn't it if you're constantly fearing if you go onto a site where like you're hearing that payments are being withheld and there isn't like uh, and there's people are being not yeah not paid that's a you're going to be well why am i why am i bothering being here you know the um and that creation of stress on site and then the again stress uh, um, constant drip feed of stress of cortisol into the body is going to long-term, short-term and long-term have a massive effect on a person's well-being and their mental health. So I think that's like, if we're looking at um, health, the, uh, you know, uh, as, a, as a spectrum of an individual on a construction site and the stressors that they may face to operate as a, 
an individual and within a company, like payment and cash flow must be one of those things that is a stressor within there. I think we think if we go back and look at it from a from a foundational point of view, just but that's it. I mean, that's right there is a great example. It's it's a guy being able to say, I get fuming and stressed out when this happens. Why is it happening? Because what it's causing me is causing me massive amount of stress. It's affecting my well-being. It's affecting the way I interact on site. It's affecting me outside of, of the workplace. It's affecting my family life. It's having all of these repercussions. Let's address why this is going on. I think that's like, that could be one. If you're going to go in with a company and say, um, for like on you know toolbox talks or um, be able to step back and go like, what's going on with this project? And if the general sense is that there people are not feeling respected, like you've got to go down to the root cause. Like what is the root cause of that? And if the root cause is there's a payment issue, like, well, okay, great. So like go and those people need to get around and, 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 and solve that because the knock on effect of that is that people are, people's mental health is being severely affected. No, I get it. And I think one of the things that's just like come to my mind is that, you know, if we do want to make the industry more attractive to young people, we've got to look at all the different cultures. And it's like each sort of place of work and cultures got their own different environment. So from a site perspective, you've got a melting pot of different things. So you've got yeah. um, you've got the male macho culture. Absolutely. And yeah. you've got the fact that you've got a bunch of men who, um, you know, they might not be like sharing how they feel and might not feel that they can be themselves and all of that. Yeah. But you've also got the added stresses of, you know, typical subcontractor, contractor relationships, lack of payment. Like you've got all of these things that are like coming together. So we've got to look holistically yeah. at how we can solve all of these different issues in the same with, you know, different areas of work if you're office based and you need to have flexibility and you as a was a woman coming into the industry you want to be able to see how you can progress and yeah there's I think every area's got like a different sort of um a slightly different thing that needs to be tackled and I think once we start to look at that and I know procurement is a big thing then that's it's a combination of all of these things I think that is going to make it attractive for the people who were there in the first place yeah, yeah, and then attractive for the next generation coming in as well. Completely agree. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I, 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 and I'm, yeah, like you say, I mean, it's, it's hard to just like pin pick. We could like say this conversation can grow arms and legs and go on into loads and loads and loads of different avenues. And it is just a, a sign of how much, how much com- how much conversations there are there but then also the work that needs to be done afterwards like how does that then get implemented if the culture on a construction site is there that people feel comfortable and secure that if they raise something and say hey i'm not really happy about this that it's not just going to be brushed off and they're not going to be isolated or they're not going to be struck off and they're not going to be sacked and they're not just going to be you know bullied if that culture is there then these issues and these conversations and real impact, I think we'll be able to will be able to change. So that's why addressing this sort of toxic behaviours that happen on site, I think again, if we go back to like my, the guy that I mentor's explanation, is they're like a virus and they just sort of infiltrate in various different ways in different in, into different um, parts of the of the industry and into different roles into different. Um, 
you know sites offices etc and then to different parts of the the project lifestyle but if generally the full the culture is there is that people feel safe and secure that if they raise something to say hey i'm not happy about this that they get listened to and respected and those conversations can be had and they can be addressed if there is something that definitely needs to be addressed then then great right then hopefully then then there's going to be some actual action and real deep um change that can happen from that two big words that just you know jumped out to me are safe and secure yeah. So people feel safe and secure in themselves. Yeah. But they also feel safe and secure in their environment. Yes. Then that's got to be, you know, what, you know, the, the right sort of solution and idea for creating an environment that other people would want to join. It's about safety and it's about security, but it's about like, you know, it's not it's not the health and safety. I think, you know, we've we've made great sort of um ways with that it's the safety to sort of be yourself it's the safety that you your mental health is safe that um but also that you feel secure and your needs are being met and I think if we can work on that then I think you know that's got to sort of um be part of the answer to to change the culture yeah (laughs) (laughs) I love it that's a great way to to, to pull that all together and maybe we should get back and continue on that that type of conversation another time then yeah definitely i hope you enjoyed listening to this interview i think it's amazing the work that matthew is now doing with young people and how he's using his experiences to bring change it also gives us food for thought as an industry as to how we can change the culture There are some brilliant resources out there to be used. I deliver fairness, inclusion and respect training for Supply Chain Sustainability School and there are some great toolkits on their website that you can use. We've put some links in the show notes and we've also included links to the Good Lad Initiative where Matthew was a lead facilitator. Carrying on the theme of attracting the next generation, next week I'm going to be talking to Laura Jane Rawlings, founder and CEO of Youth Employment UK. Laura Jane is a passionate campaigner for youth employment and the rights for all young people to access quality employment and have their voices heard on the issues that affect them. See you next time. And if you'd like to, please like and leave us a review, which will hopefully be a good one, if you're loving the content and help us get found by more people on the podcast platforms. Thank you for listening.